Let's start out in Psalm 139, verse 21. Psalm 139, verse 21 through 24. Say there when you're there. says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, this is the attitude from which we are to approach the scripture tonight. Amen. You may have walked in shrouded with the mantle of despair or complacency, but I'm here to tell you that we are going to leave here strapped with the armor of God, wielding the weaponry of Christ and refueled with the courage that comes from the throne of God. You may have noticed that this has been a season of warfare within the one association. Good. It's good. This means we are dangerous to the enemy. And the gears of war are turning to stop us. I believe the demons are saying, Jesus, I know. Paul, I knew. And LCM, I am afraid of. This is the time to search our hearts, put on the nature of our warrior king, and respond to Satan's targeted, unrelenting attack with holy savagery. I'm going to tell you tonight that we are going to say, like Moses said when the ark of God went out, Rise up, O Lord. Rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered and may your foes go out from your presence. In week one of our 12th round series, Pastor Wade taught us how to open our eyes to God's revealed plan to defeat the enemy. In week two, our pastors taught us our spiritual stance, showing us how to have a wide base in the word, to keep our hands eye high, ready to strike, and to take the center of the ring where we oppose our will on the enemy. Week three brought us a lesson by Pastor Eric where we learned to counter the painful body shots given to us by the enemy. Has anybody experienced some body shots in this building? Come on, Daniel. We experienced some body shots this week. It's happening, folks. We've made the enemy mad. We've looked into the eye of the beast, and now he's woken. We learned to counter to the head when our enemy exposes his face. Ring praise rather than voice our injury and press our purpose rather than pause or find an easier task. Somebody say, we're not backing up. No matter how hard it gets, we're not backing up. We're not going to go to a different place. We're not going to hide. We are going to fight. We are going to stand in the center of the ring and take the fight to the enemy and impose our will, God's will on him. Amen? Amen? We learned to press our purpose rather than pause. Has that been a relevant word for you this week? It's been a relevant word for me. Tonight we are going to learn about glass jaws and granite chins. Anybody ever heard that term before? Glass jaw? Looked up the definition for glass jaw. It's a boxing term, of course. It means a weak jaw that is easily broken, especially as an indication of a fighter's vulnerability to opponent's punches. A glass jaw. When that comes to your mind, what do you think? One hit, done. You know somebody with a glass jaw? They always seem to have the loudest mouth, right? They always seem to talk and talk until that one punch comes and they're down, knocked out. We're not going to have a glass jaw in this building. We're going to have a granite chin by the will of God. Turn with me to Revelation 13, 3 through 10. We're going to talk a little bit about the clinch. We're going to talk about this engagement that we are in with our enemy. Verse 3 says, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Obviously, this stirs up the question, What is this thing going to be like? If the whole world is astonished and taking notice of this thing, what will it be like? Who can make war against him? Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. 
He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place to those who live in heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I seem to study the, when I study the scripture, I seem to notice that the enemy thinks that he can take on God. Is that right? He seems to think that there's a fighting chance. Verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given power to make war against the saints. Now, I'm not going to ask tonight who gave him that power or where that power came from, but I want to bring notice to the fact that he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That our enemy actually has power to make war against us. He actually has some sort of ability to challenge us. The, the Greek phrase for he was given power is didomi autos. It was given to him. The English translation is more along the lines of it was given to him to make war against the saints. That word autos, it's spelled A-U-T-O-S. Autos, like automatic. Or you can almost think that it was given to the beast to have autonomy on the earth. He, was, he had the ability, it was given to him to freely make war, to do whatever he pleased on the earth. Interesting, isn't that? It was given to himself to make war against the saints. That means he no longer had to ask. He no longer had to go to a higher power and say, can I do this? It was freely given to him. If we continue on in verse 7, it says, He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. The Greek word for authority is exousia. It means the force, capacity, mastery, freedom, or delegated influence. This beast was given force over every tribe, people, and language. He was given capacity over every people. He was given mastery over every language. He was given freedom over every nation. And he had delegated influence over every tribe. Can you imagine that? That is what is coming to this earth, saints. That is what is coming to this world. And we could sense that that tension is growing. It's getting stronger. Continue on in verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. Doesn't sound very good, does it? Doesn't sound like the odds are in our favor, does it? Simply says, if anyone's to be killed, well, he's going to be killed. What does this call for? This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on part of the saints. This causes, this causes us to stand up in perseverance and also faithful, righteous acts for our king. Yes. Our enemy, I want you to know, wrap your minds around this. Our enemy has actual power to affect our daily lives. That is why we are suffering the way that we do. I want you to, to think that he is not just a power. We're not, we're not talking yin and yang. We're not talking uh, that he's just another ethereal power out there kind of making, stirring up the waters of the earth. No, he has power. He will have power. And he will have ability to work against you, to try to stop you or affect your condition. I don't know about you, but when I see that happening in the body, when I see that happening in my life... I get angry. I rise up with the hatred of God in me and it causes me to want to go into the ring and challenge Him even more. Is there anyone who has a little bit of fight in you? Come on. Revelation 12, 12. Let's turn there. Just a few verses. If you're not there, you're not awake. Verse 12. says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. It's interesting, right? But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's funny, isn't it? The heavens are rejoicing because he's not there anymore. The heavens are rejoicing because he's saying, he's gone, he's away from us. But woe to you down on the earth because there he is. 
And he has been filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Such an interesting phrase. He knows that his time is short. Theologians have argued about the eschatological meaning of the time being near for the coming of our Lord. Whether you believe the time was near or is near now, no one believes that Satan has been bound for a thousand years nor cast into the lake of fire. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Can you see Satan working in your daily life to oppose you? Can you see Satan working in this church to stop this church dead in our tracks? It's because he knows that we're dangerous. His time is even shorter now than it ever has been. That is why we see increasing persecution around the world. That's why we see rising influence against Israel. That's why we see rising opposition against the people of God and the church and our brothers and sisters around the world. Knowing his outcome, Satan has worked himself into a frenzied, crazed, and maniacal state, unleashing all within his power, and that he clearly has, to hit us where it hurts. Satan is like a lion. He is roaring like a lion, seeking to whom he can devour. He is roaming throughout this earth, trying to devour each and every one of us. Let me ask you a question. If Satan is in a frenzied, crazed, and maniacal state, how much more should we be? How much more shall the people of God realize the attack taken to us and want to, res- want to force back with him holy savagery? How much more shall we take the, the, the blow given to us and not just call it, but raise it up and give it back to him? Yes. Don't you want to do that? Amen. Yes. John 10.10 makes it clear that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who is he trying to do that to, folks? He's trying to do that to you. He's trying to do that to me. He's trying to do that to our brothers in India. He's trying to do that to our brothers in Africa and all over the world. He is trying to steal your purpose. He is trying to kill your family physically and spiritually. And he is trying to destroy your calling in Christ Jesus. We need to take note of that in the house of God. We need to see, like Pastor taught taught us in the first week, we need to strategize the good strategy. We need to see the plan of God on all of this and open our eyes to see the attacks of the enemy. And I promise we will live differently. I promise you we will live in a warlike state where every second counts, where we wouldn't waste our time on things that shouldn't be wasted on. And rather we would have a mentality that says, I need to be training. I need to be preparing. I need to be with the people of God. I need to be learning my positions, how to fire my weapons, learning how to wear my armor. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Daniel 7.15. Just ask you something. Think of a battleship. Think of a battleship. This large steel boat is nothing. Just a piece of steel floating in the water if its crew is not trained, if its crew is not focused, if its crew is not ready for war, if its crew doesn't know its positions and knows how to fire its weapons. It depends on us, friends. It depends on us to do our research. It depends on us to search the Word. It depends on us to know the plan of God. If, if we don't do it, who will? Do you think Lakewood is? <laughs> be honest with you. Do you think Lakewood is up at night, in the middle of the night, praying on how they can make a blow to the enemy? If they won't, who will? If not them, then who? If not now, then when? Now is the time to sink our boots into the mud. Now is the time to dig in and get ready for a fight. Because I'm telling you, I, this week has been it. This week has been it for me. This week has shown me what Satan is trying to do in our body. And I'm telling you, I'm angered to the core by it. And it's time that we all, we all share in that holy anger. It's time that we all share in that holy savagery and want to deal a blow back to the enemy. Amen. It's time that we start countering to the head. Yeah. Daniel 7 verse 15. Daniel said, I, Daniel, was troubled in the spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Right there that clues me in is Daniel seeing something bad. That is about to happen on the earth. He's seeing the clinch happening. He's seeing what is going to happen to the saints of God. Skip down to verse 21. It says, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints 
and defeating them. Doesn't say that, you know, like all happy stories. Says that for a time, the saints were defeated. Let me ask you, my friends, are you practicing that now? Are you practicing defeat every day? Are you the type of Christian that has a glass jaw that when you see the enemy rise up for a second, he takes one hit and you go down? Come on. On a widespread scale, the enemy is going to be defeating the saints of God. We can't let him defeat us now. We can't let him defeat us at this time. Amen. We have to stand. We have to have a granite chin. Amen. Verse 21, I watched. This horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. But verse 22 says, Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. We live in the tension of these two truths. War is being waged against us until the knockout blow is given. How are we standing now? Do we have a glass jaw or do we have a granite chin? We stand in the ring and fight. We stand, having gone through many rounds, going through the 12th round, and the enemy is still standing, defeating, giving us blows, giving us blows to the left and the right. But we know that there is a knockout blow going to be given, don't we? When the Lord of glory stands on the scene and pronounces judgment all throughout the earth. But we have to stand until we get to that moment. If we have a glass jaw, if we take a hit, go down. What will come of the will of God on this earth? If you don't do it, who will? If you don't do the calling that is upon your life, who will? How can the Lord show up? How could every tribe, every nation, and every tongue bow down before him if you don't proceed in your calling? If you have a glass jaw, how is his name going to be glorified at the end? I'm telling you that the time is sooner than it has ever been. The Lord will come, and he will pronounce judgment in favor of the saints. But now is, it hasn't happened yet, has it? Right. Now is not the time. But we must stand until we get there. Our pastors have taught us how to turn. And they've taught us well. In Psalm 16, in the writings, Pastor Wade taught us in verse 5 through 6. It says, Lord, you have assigned me and my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Oh, come on. Turn it around on the enemy. Tell him you're not going anywhere. You're going to stand in the place God has told you to stand. It does no good to proclaim that this is God's will to stand in a place. And then when the going gets tough, leave it. What we must do as the people of God is say, no, these are my boundary lines. Like Shammai, we must stand in the center of the ring and say, this is the place God told me to defend and I will not leave until I see victory. I will not leave because there is defeat. I will not leave because there is trials. There is a battle going on. I will only leave when I have victory. Reminds me of uh, Mel Gibson and We Were Soldiers. He says, I'll be the first boots on the ground and the last to leave. He's not leaving until the battle is over. And we shouldn't either. We cannot leave. Joshua 23, as we've been taught by Pastor Matt and the prophets, verses 14 through 15, says, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one, one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Oh, you can never go down trusting in in your God. Think of all of the promises. Think of all of the things the Lord has has done. Think of the little things. Think of the big things. Think of of the the giants that God has conquered in your life. Think of the things four years ago that seemed unsurpassable, immovable, unconquerable, and you watched the Lord come in and slay it right on the spot. Think about it for a second. Not one of the promises the Lord has given you will fail if you stand in those promises. If you run away from the promise of God, and let's just talk about the promise of God for a second. The promise of God is contingent upon a few things in your life. Like where you are and who you are with and what you're doing. 
The promise of God is contingent upon where you are. Because God tells you what you're going to do, what is going to happen in your life, and He tells you where it is going to happen. It is contingent upon where you are. So don't let us think that we can leave the place we are. It's contingent upon what we're doing. You've got to be doing what God told you to do. You have got to be doing the thing, your function. You have got to be finding out what your mezuzah is and doing that. Doing that. And who? You cannot leave who God has called you to be with. That is just as important as the other two, probably more. Because the moment that we think we could just leave the people that we are intertwined with, that God has put us with, the moment that we think we can do that is the moment that you truly believe that you could do this without the Lord. Because God has placed those people in your life. He has put you amongst those that you're supposed to serve with. Pastor Eric taught us in the law how to turn. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Say there when you're there. There. Get it, Rob. Everybody there? Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His ways are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Everybody says, everybody say, does no wrong. Does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Oh, that's it right there. You want to hear more about that? Buy Pastor Wade coffee. And he'll tell you about the upright and the upright God that we serve and the justice that he, he serves with. Our God is the rock. Our God is immovable. Our God does not change. Our God does not move. Our God does not fail. Our God does not experience defeat. Our God does not surrender. He is the rock, immovable, unchangeable, immutable, preeminent God who dwells in the assembly of all. He presides over the great assembly. He is the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He has pronounced an ultimate victory for those who stand firm and trust in Him. A man with the glass jaw will never survive the hardest hit that the opponent can muster. But the man who has a granite chin will be like God. Amen. Our God is the rock and He does not change. Come on, get that down in your soul, folks. Our God does not change. He is the rock. There is nothing like Him. There is no one like Him. When God issues a decree, no one can change it. We can fail to do that decree, but I promise you he'll raise up somebody else. I promise you God has ultimate sovereignty. He knows the end from the beginning. And he does not fail. To have a granite chin, we must be like him. We must be like the rock. You must get some of the character of who he is down in your soul. Otherwise, you will be changeable. Otherwise, you will be movable. Otherwise, you will be susceptible to a knockout every time the enemy raises his fist. Oh, come on, man. How How many times do people get in a fight and all somebody has to do is just raise their fist and the other one backs down because of fear? If we want to follow this God in this age, in this day, going to the place that God wants us to go, experiencing the suffering that God has called us to, we're going to have to be like Him. And we're going to have to train ourselves not to have a glass jaw. So how do we do it? How do we get rid of this glass jaw that we have? How do we get rid of fear and doubt? How do we get rid of a depraved mind that is always thinking about the circumstances? Tonight we're going to go through a couple tools that you can put to practice that will teach you to have a granite chin. We've already learned about standing in the center. We've already learned about countering to the head. We've learned about having eye-high hands. Tonight we're going to learn a few more. Amen? Amen. The first one we're going to learn is listen to your corner. Listen to your corner. When you're in the ring with the enemy, you must learn, as you're engaged in the fight, to have your ear turned to your corner. And listening to what they're telling you. Listening to what they're saying in the moment. Because oftentimes, they have, they have a perspective you don't have. When I say they, I mean all of the above. 
talking God, talking pastors, talking your brothers. Let's go to John 10, 1 through 6. John 10, 1 through 6 says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What is Jesus saying? Jesus he is the shepherd. And he's relating us to the sheep. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. Praise God for that. That Jesus goes on ahead of us. That Jesus goes before us and challenges the enemy, shakes them up a bit. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. If you skip on down to verse 27, Jesus tells it in even plainer language. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Right. One of the reasons this is such a big deal, because we as Christians struggle with one thing, listening. We struggle with one thing more than anything else, and that's listening. Most of the time throughout our day, we're so weighed down by so many different things, so many different influences, so many different voices speaking to our lives, telling us you got to have this, you got to have that. You could drive down the road, see a sign, got to have that. Trials can come. You can think of something, i got to have that, that'll make it better. What do you have a habit of listening to? Do you have a habit of listening to your flesh or do you have a habit of listening to God's voice? And I want to tell you, there's, there's an easy way to differentiate between the two. Oftentimes, our flesh is telling us what's easy. Most of the time, God is telling us what's difficult. Now, I'm not saying that we just do things that are difficult because they're difficult, but most of the time, God tell, tells us what is contrary to our flesh. The Spirit desires what is contrary to the fleshly nature. And the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. You have to train your mind and your thoughts. The mind that is set on the spirit is life. And the mind that is set on the flesh is death. Yeah. Ask yourself tonight, what do you listen to the most? When you're in the ring, going toe-to-toe -to, -toe to the enemy, when blows are coming your way, do you listen to your inner fear? Do you listen to your inner doubts? Do you listen to that voice that says, you can't do it? Do you listen to that voice that says, your brothers will never accept you because you're failing? What do you listen to, my friends? Or do you listen to the voice of God? Do you listen to your corner in the midst of the fight? Because I promise you, your corner is urging you on. Yeah. Here's the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. The enemy will leave you no hope every time. The enemy will point out your flaws. He will point out what, is, what it needs to be worked out in you. And then he leaves it at that. You know what God does? He points out what's wrong with you. And again, gives you hope. He gives you the hope to go on. Yeah. Folks, we have to be listening to our corner. Amen. When those trials run deep, when those thoughts are invading us day to day, you've got to listen to your corner. You have to listen to the shepherd. You have to listen to his voice. Turn with me to Hebrews 13, verse 17. Amen. Say there when you're there. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, All right, now I want you to get something here. He's talking about obeying the voice of the Lord. I get the sense that that still leaves a little bit of room for escape because really, you know, anyone could say, Well, God told me, right? What does verse 17 say? Obey your who? And do what? To their what? Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. And let me tell you something. If their work is a joy, yours will be too. I promise you that. If their work is not a joy, your work will not be a joy. So what does it work out for you? 
joy by obeying and submitting to your leaders. Come on, we're going to get down and dirty tonight, amen? We're going to cut off the things that are causing us to sin and get tangled up, and we're going to go straight into the ring. They keep watch over you as men who must be given an account. Wow. Can you say about yourself that you keep watch over yourself as someone who gives an account? To be honest with you, most of the time I, I really don't. But I know who does. It's, it's these men right here. They do. And it's their job. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage of you. Come on, what kind of fighter can get in the ring and disobey his corner? What kind of fighter can go to training every day and thinks he could do it better than his coach? What kind of fighter can just be an island and just train by himself and emerge as a prodigy with no one to help him? It doesn't happen, folks. If you want to go into the ring, if you want... To emerge victorious, if you want to stand firm, you have to listen to your corner. You have to listen to the men that these men God has put in your life. You cannot be of the attitude that says, yeah, I heard you, pastor, but this is what I feel is right. Yeah, I heard you, pastor, but this is the word that I got, or this is what I'm going to do. You cannot do that and survive in the kingdom of God. What does the word say? It says, endure hardship as a good soldier. For every soldier wants to please his what? We have to please our commanding officers in this place. Otherwise, how would we advance? I'm going to tell you, you are in such a place that you are advantaged by having commanding officers. Anybody come from a church where you didn't have that? Any of you come from a church where you were just running wild? They put a gun in your hand and said, go go shoot. What good did that do to you? No No good. And now God has put us in a place where we have commanding officers and we want to buck up against their authority and fight back? Come on now. What kind of soldier goes off the war and doesn't listen to his lieutenants? The one that gets killed. If you want to survive in this, you have to listen to your commanding officers. I want to tell you, first and foremost, that it is a joy of mine to listen to these men. If I stand up on a day and say, hey, you know what, pastors, I'm called, I'm ready to go, let me at it, I'm leaving. And they tell me, tell me no, what could I say against that? These are the men that have been given the authority and must give an account for my life. It is a joy of mine to submit, and it should be yours too. And if you're having problems with that, you, you had better repent, because that shows you have an authority problem with the Lord Almighty, and you'll suffer the same fate that Korah did. What did Korah say? Can't we hear God? Can't we hear from God ourselves? You're not the only one, Moses. Let's turn to First John four. Told you we're going to ratchet it up. We're going to ratchet it up even more. Somebody say this is good. This is going to teach us how to get victory. This is going to teach us how to have a granite chin and not a glass jaw. Most of us have a glass jaw because we don't listen. I've been there. (laughs) I've been there. Hey, oh, hey, pastor, I just got knocked out this week. Well, what happened? Yeah, that's what we taught Monday night. Got to listen to our corner. 1 John 4, verse 6. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. We talked about hearing the voice of God. Talked about hearing the voice of our pastors. Let's talk about hearing the voice of our brothers. When you came to this church, you were not drafted into this church. You were not plucked by against your will to come here, forced to be where you are. You enlisted. You signed up for this. You signed up to be amongst people who are from God. You looked at the men around you and said, these men are following hard after God. These men and women, these brothers and sisters are sold out for the cross of Christ. And I am going to be be counted amongst them. So if you did that, if you decided that you were going to place yourself with people who are from God, 
How do you know that you are from God? Because you listen to your brothers. I want to tell you, one of the hardest things is when you think you're right, when you are sure that you're right, and your brothers in unity stand up and say, no, don't agree with what's going on here. What do you do in that moment? You see, everybody says they listen to God's voice, but do you listen to the people God has appointed in your life? Do you listen to them? <laughs> I can't say this enough. I know what happens. You're, good. you're nodding your head saying, yeah, that's a good word. And then a week later, your pastors are going to say something. You're going to say, but, but, but. No, you don't know where I come from. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I'm going through. You have it easier than me. Wow. Right? Yeah. Come on, have you said that? I thought it. <laughs> I have. But like I said, it's a joy of mine to submit. Amen. It's a joy. <laughs> we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Amen. Brothers, if your brothers are telling you something, you should listen because God put them in your life. Amen. It says this is how we recognize the spirit of truth. And a spirit of falsehood. Do you really think that if you were living under a spirit of falsehood, that you would, you would know it? Do you wake up and, put, uh, do, do you wake up and just categorize, categorize yourself as, Hi, I'm Justin Treister, and I'm living under a spirit of falsehood. It's funny, isn't it? But let that be a warning to you. How do you know that you're living in falsehood? Are you listening to your brothers and sisters? Do you have your jarhead covenant in effect? Do you have your names in a jar that say, If these men... If these men have, have, if these men stand up unified and are not in agreement with, with any word that I've gotten, any prophecy that I've gotten, then I will back down and submit to them. Do you have that in your life? That's how you listen to your corner. You listen to your corner by listening to the voice of God, listening to the voice of your pastors, and listening to the voice of your brothers. No questions asked. There's no buts. It's a yes and amen. The next thing we must learn to do is set our gaze. Turn with me to Ezekiel 3, chapter 3, verse 5. Everybody there? Let me hear it. We there? On the back row? Baj is there. His beard is there too. Verse 5, you are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. Everyone say hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. Listen up, church. God will put you in circumstances that are difficult on purpose. God will place you in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God will put you in tough places to mold you and make you harder than your enemies. How could we ever, how could we ever arise victorious if we get into the hard places and we back out? We have a glass jaw. We go down. We go cower in the corner. We go cower by ourselves. We separate us from the people in our corner. How could we if we do that? But God places us in those situations because He wants, you, he wants to make you harder than the enemy you're going to face. Amen. God wants to make you harder than the enemy you're going to face. But you have to face Him. You have to face the enemy. See, most of the time, I, I wonder if Ezekiel thought, Lord, are you going to do this in my life before I go? I think the Lord did it as he went, as he was facing the enemy. As you're going through the trial, the Lord strengthens you and gives you a steel spine. He forges iron into your soul so that you could set your gaze on the enemy and not be, not be moved, not waver, not to the left, look to the left or to the right, but stare him straight in the eye, face to face. 
in a fight, a boxing match, a knockout blow can be dealt by jarring an opponent's head to the left or to the right. Most knockout blows are not jabs delivered straight to the face, but hooks that rattle an opponent's face to the side. Medically, what occurs is when a human head is forced suddenly to the side, in a sideways direction, the brain hits the skull with concussive force, resulting in a knockout. So point in case, if you're standing there facing your enemy, looking him straight in the eye, you've got your hands eye high, you're standing there, you're not saying no to the Lord, leaving the side exposed. You're saying yes to the Lord with your chin tucked down. You're facing the enemy with your hands eye high and your chin tucked so that he can't deliver a knockout blow. The Word of God makes us stand strong with our chin tucked staring straight at our enemy. We have got to set our gaze on our opponent. If you look to the left, you look to the right, you're submitting yourself to a chance to be knocked out as soon as you do. You see, we don't think about that when it happens, but it happens quick. Anybody watch knockout videos? How quick does it happen? Man's fighting, boom, knocked out. How quick does it happen to you? You're strong. Come off a Sunday, Sunday morning word. You're ready to go fight. You're ready to go take the fight to the enemy. And then you look to the left at something you're not supposed to be looking at. And here comes the knockout blow and you didn't even see it. All you did, all you, all you did was hear it. You didn't even see it coming. You have got to stare the enemy straight in the face, keep your chin tucked so that you can avoid a knockout blow. Let's turn to Isaiah 50, verse 11. And when you get there, slide on down to Isaiah 51, verse 1 says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Come on, folks, look to the rock from which you were cut. You were born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Come on, when you were born again, did you have a will to be knocked out? No, you were running and gunning. You were fighting with everything in you. You were staring your enemy in the face. So where did we look to the left and to the right? We need to fix our eyes on the rock from which we were cut. We need to fix our eyes on the God who is standing past the enemy, beckoning us to victory. If we look straight at the enemy, we could see our God standing behind him, calling us to come, calling us to stand, calling us to fight, calling us to put our hands up and deliver another blow. Let us not fix our eyes on anything to the left or to the right. Let us not fix our eyes on what we think that our brothers are doing and uh, could be doing better with me helping. Let's not fix our eyes on, on little things such as debatable issues, such as food and drink. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. We need to see past our physical trial and through the spiritual victory that is ours in Christ. If you are looking at your trial, you're not seeing the God of the rock who is the victor. You're not seeing him behind the enemy. All you're seeing is the enemy in your peripherals as you get knocked to the ground. If you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're done. You're knocked out. We have got to set our eyes on Him and Him alone and not the things around us. Not the things of the world. Not the things that our flesh craves. We need to set our sights on what the Spirit is, is pleased with. Amen. Most of us, we fail when we take our eyes off of what we need to be focusing on. We fail when we set our eyes on peripheral things. We need to set our gaze on the enemy and our God who is right past him, who is, who is ready to come and issue judgment. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to go, go down a little bit to Isaiah 50, verse 5 through 9.
In verse 5, it says, The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. There's that voice from your corner. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I did not hide. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Stop right there for a second. I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. In Hebrew, this word is panim. The Hebrew word panim can mean a many number of different things. It can mean the face of a subject, the whole face of it, like the face of a cliff or the face of the open sea. It could mean the presence of something. When you hear the panim, you can think of the bread of the presence was set before the Lord. The bread of the presence was set panim, the Lord, in his presence. When you think panim, you can think of a face of someone. But it more refers to someone's presence, your spirit, your soul. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on our God, who is the rock, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. You dealing with shame, you dealing with doubts, you need to set your eyes on God, the rock. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. Psalm 37 says, Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces know no shame. Why is your face downcast, Cain? Because he's not looking at the God who is the rock. He's looking at his circumstances. He's thinking, why can I be... He's angry at his brother who is righteous. Instead, he should be angry at himself. We need to set our presence like flint in God's presence. When we come through the trial, when we go through those body shots that seem unfair, that seem like they hurt the most, those gut-wrenching shots the enemy deals to us, we need to set our presence like flint and press on and know that he will not put us to shame. Come on, somebody. You're in a trial this week? Set your spirit like flint and go after it. Set your, set your spirit like flint and determine that I am not going anywhere. I am not backing down from the center of the ring. I am going to take the fight to the enemy and I'm going to let him have it. Amen. I hate your enemies with a perfect hatred. How many of you can say that? If we would let that hatred rise up in us tonight. I'm not talking about hatred for people. I'm not talking about hatred for the pawns that the devil uses to discourage us. I'm talking about hating the power behind that person. Talking about hating the spiritual powers behind it. I'm talking about hating our flesh, hating the lust that causes us to to lose out on our calling, to miss the mark, to miss the opportunity. We need to hate the enemies of God with a perfect hatred. We need to set our presence like flint and say that although although the enemy is shooting fiery darts at my soul, I will not let them run me through. Though a righteous man falls, he gets back up. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, for I will rise again. You need to set your presence like flint in God's presence. What is the the result of that? Verse 8 is, He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. The result of you looking at God's presence, the result of you setting your gaze on him, you set your presence like flint, you stand there like a fighter and you say, who's going to come against me? What enemy is going to try next? God will wear them all out like a garment and they will all be destroyed under his hand. Furthermore, he will raise me up on that day and he will put them under my feet and they will be defeated God will raise you up as the victor on the last day if you set your gaze on him if you run straight towards the enemy if you go down into the lion's pit when God calls you to he'll be there when you get back out they will all wear out like a garment the moths will eat them up I'm telling you that these enemies You know why they're going after you? Because they see God 
clearer than we do. They know he's the rock. They know that he could raise his hand. They know he can send down an angel and 185,000 men could be slain. So what are they doing? They're trying to take it out on you. They're trying to pick on the weaker vessel. They're They're thinking that we are the little brothers who could be eaten up and swallowed. They're taking advantage of us. They're trying to. But God's not going to let it happen. If we stand firm in his word, if we stand firm gazing into his presence, if we listen to our corner, he won't let us fail. Even though they think that they have a chance at us, it won't happen. Some of us have lost babies in the room. Some of us have, have suffered serious things. Very good friends falling away. Very serious setbacks. You want to know why the devil is doing that to us? Because he thinks that he can get us. He thinks that he has a chance to wither down our confidence and get us to back down. And to be honest with you, looking at the results, I think he's been pretty successful in some. I think the devil has had his way in some lives. And he thinks that he can get at us too. We had better learn how to fight this fight. Amen? We had better learn how to train and do this right. Because if we don't succeed, if we don't succeed, what is going to happen to the people that we are called to, to touch? We're called to affect for the kingdom. It's going to happen to them. The third thing we must learn to do, we talked, about, we talked about listening to your corner. We talked about setting your gaze. Now we're going to talk about wrapping your hands. Amen. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 3. Wrapping your hands. Every boxer, before he goes into a fight, he puts on gloves. Before he puts on gloves, he has to wrap his hands. This is to stiffen up the hand. This is to ensure against an injury so that when he lands a blow, he's not going to be the one injuring himself and that his, his fist is going to be stiff when that blow is delivered. Deuteronomy 6 verse 3 says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Why is, what's the purpose of what we're about to hear? So that it may go well with us. So that you may increase greatly in the land that God is calling us to possess. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord has won. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Then when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. How many of you have seen a pair of Teflon? The Torah commands the people of God to wear these. And what the Jews do is they write down the commands of God, specifically this passage right here, and they place it within these boxes, and they wrap them around their hands. They wrap them around their hands so that when when they look down, they can be reminded of, of the word of God and the calling of God in every situation that they're in. When they're doing their daily activities... When they're walking, around, walking about the road, when they're lying down and when they're getting up, they can be reminded of the word of God. I'll tell you something. If you want to have a granite chin, you're going to have to be like God who is a rock. To be like God who is a rock, you're going to have to take something that is of God's and impress it on your soul, to bind it around your wrists. We can't be like the man that is running around aimlessly beating the air. We can't be like the shadow boxing legend that only shadow boxes and never lands a real punch. God's commands are reflective of his character. He is the rock. And we become like him by infusing our hands with his commands. Come on, somebody. Who is going to tie the word of God around your wrist tonight? You cannot deliver an effective blow to the enemy unless you learn how to infuse your wrists with the commands of God. You cannot learn to deliver an effective blow 
unless you've got some weight in your punch. If you go about trying to do this thing without any power, without any true substance in your punches, the enemy's just going to stand back and laugh. You have got to use the Word of God in your life. You have got to wrap this Word around your wrists and be using it daily. You have got to be like Jesus when He was in the desert. And Satan must have thought that there was a chance to steer him off course. Otherwise, he wouldn't have tried, would he? Do you really think it was, it's just as simple as that? That Jesus could not have possibly been tempted? I guess it was possible because Satan tried. And what did Jesus respond with? When Satan threw a punch to his body, when Satan threw a body punch to Jesus, Jesus responded by countering to the head with the Word of God. How many times do we get in the situations we are in because we are trying to fight back with some type of fleshly device that we have made up? Some type of philosophy, some type of I think so, or some type of this is good, or it's what I saw on Facebook, or something, anything. Come on. We have got to have the natural triggered response of responding to the Word of God when the enemy punches us. We teach that over and over. And yet, how many of us are still using our stones? Very good question. We have got to learn to wrap our wrists with the Word of God. How many of us could use that a little bit more in this church? How many of us can use a little bit of power in our punches? You see, you'll never succeed in your flesh. You'll never succeed by just getting angry at the devil or just thinking that you're going to go out and do something for Jesus. You're going to go out and you know, take on some task. The only way you can succeed is by wrapping your wrist, by infusing your fist with the Word of God and delivering an effective blow. That is the only way you can do that. Let's turn to Psalm 144, 1 through 2. says, praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and whom I take refuge, who subdues people over me. Pastors read a a verse the other week. says, I beat them into the dust. I beat them as fine as dust and I poured them out like mud in the streets. How many of you want a little victory in your life? How many of you are tired of suffering what appears to be defeat? I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's not defeat yet. Those things have come in your life to make your your head as hard as flint. They have come in your life to strengthen you and teach you how to stand. We need to learn how to listen to our corner. I'm going to tell you that's a big one. Something that's going to cause pride to be crushed out of you. Pride to be destroyed completely. Because a lot of us, myself included, think we're a lot further than we really are. What good would that do if we were in the ring fighting with the enemy, thinking we are better than what our corner is telling us? We've got to set our gaze on the God who is the rock. We've got to look forward instead of looking to the left or to the right. We've got to stop exposing ourselves to knockout punches. And we have got to wrap our hands with the word of God. Yes. We have got to stiffen those fists and get them ready Amen. to fight off the ropes. Amen. We have got to stiffen those fists and get them ready to deliver some blows. Yes. So let me ask you a question. Anybody in this room has been ignoring the advice of your corner? Is there anyone who who has a uh, triggered response already. Like, yeah, pastor, uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, you know that's not what the Lord has shown me. Or, yeah, pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, but whatever it is. But, that's all that is, is but. Yeah, pastor, but. Have you gotten to the point where no matter what they say, you say, you're right, pastor. Yes. Have you gotten to that point? 
Have you gotten to the point where you can listen to your brothers in your corner? Where if you have a group of brothers and you think you're right, and that day will come, when you're so sure that you've heard from God, where you're so sure that you've gotten a revelation, you're so sure that this is what, what you're supposed to do, and your brothers stand up and say, I don't think this is it. I think you're just kind of, I think you got your eyes to the left and to the right, but not straight ahead towards your enemy. I don't think you're pressing your purpose. I don't think you're countering to the head. I don't think you're standing in the center of the ring with a wide base position. Do you have those brothers in your life? And when they, when they say what God is telling them to say, do you listen? Or do you run from those type of people? How well have we been, ignoring, how well have we been listening to our corner? Are you somebody in here that you set your gaze on other things? You set your gaze on something other than your enemy and something other than your king? Have you, has something taken a hold of your soul tonight? Do you have something that you can't stop thinking about? Something that you can't wait to do? That has nothing to do with what God has called you to? Do you have idols in your life in this room? Be it what it is. Can you not stop thinking about your job and how much money you're going to make if you do this and that? Can you not stop thinking about uh, the next promotion or the time when you're going to get out of this trial? I'll tell you, comfort is a big idol that's destroying a lot. There are many idols we could succumb to. Have you had your hands tied with sin rather than with the word of God? When we say sin tonight, we mean anything that is not God's will. Yeah. You had your hands tied behind your back, wrapped up with something that you're not supposed to be doing? <coughs> or are you tied, are your hands tied up? Are you wrapping your hands daily with the word of God so you can deliver a knockout punch? Yeah. 